Martin Luther was doing family devotions. Had his family tucked in around him, his wife. And they were studying the story of Abraham offering Isaac. God told him to do that. And the kids are listening. Martin's reading the story. And Katie, Martin's wife, she says, God would never do that. And Martin said, but Katie, he did. She said, God would never ask him to lay down his only son like that. And he said, but Katie, he did. It is hard to imagine. And it was an amazing trial, testing his heart. Unlike any other trial probably anybody had up until that time. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. We're going to look at trials and what they're about, the nature of trials, the purpose of trials. Romans chapter 5. He's just finishing talking about Abraham in chapter 4. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, this is verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace which, in which we now stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God, which we sang about this morning. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Hallelujah. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. <clears throat> Let me just read that out of uh, the New Living Translation, just the, the last three verses. Listen to this. I don't think this will get on the screen behind you, but. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient. Patient develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until we finally, uh, until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. Then when that happens, we're able to hold our heads high no matter what happens and know that all is well, for we know how dearly God loves us. We feel the, his, uh, this warm love everywhere within us because God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. What an amazing line that... Even though we have problems and trials, we know they're good for us. This whole COVID season we've been in this past year, I would categorize as a trial. It's a trial. And one of the purposes of trials to reveal to us, us, and to reveal to us God, where he's at, and his love for us. Very rarely does God warn us forewarners of a trial. It's not like he, he gets our ear and he says, look it, <clears throat> you're about to go through a trial. Because we would be up and at him, we would be ready for that. Most often, uh, trials 
It's near the end of the trial, partway through or near the end, he finally lets us know, you're in a trial. And I think that's what this whole thing is about. And um, you could ask yourself, who's behind the trial? Well, we see in the life of Abraham that God was behind the trial. But there's a time when Peter said, I'll never forsake you, I'll never leave you, and Jesus looks him in the eye and says, Satan has been asking for you that he could sift you like wheat. I've been praying for you, and I'll pray for you that your faith doesn't fail. And when you recover, I want you to strengthen your brethren. And so the devil was behind that trial, and he was tried. He was tried to the bone. He was tried in ways few people are tried. Tremendous test. Yet... Um, it's never easy to know whether it's God behind it, whether it's the devil, whether it's our own stupidity, whether it's someone else's stupidity that's causing us to go through what we go through. It's not easy to know. Even this trial of COVID, I can't imagine that the Chinese orchestrated this. I can't imagine that our government is smart enough to orchestrate this. In fact, I think what our government did is prolonged, it, prolonged the pain because of some of the decisions that they've made. I believe people have profited from this thing. I think it's, it, it's been a lot worse than it ever had to be. And that's the nature of trials, even on a local level, just us going through stuff that, that we can prolong it, we can add to it, we can make it worse than it really was intended to be. I went through a trial one time that God told me was going to happen, and I... I thought it was going to be a weekend retreat. I didn't know it was going to change my life. I didn't know it was going to be so hard. And the devil got a few licks in, and people's flesh rose up, and they got a few licks in, and I did some stupid things that prolonged it. And so in the end, who did the trial? Well, it's kind of like us, <laughs> all of us. When you look at Job's, Job's trial, who did that? Who did Job's trial? When you read the story of Job, which I don't get a lot out of the middle section of Job, but I love the first couple chapters and the last couple chapters. That's where I spend my time when I read that book. <clears throat> God was clearly involved. The devil was clearly involved. People, the Sabians, the thieves, the pirates, they were clearly involved. So the answer, who was involved was, was God involved? Was God doing it? Was the devil doing it? Were people doing it? And the answer is yes. Jesus perspired blood because he was in the middle of the greatest trial of his life, a trial that required deep, deep surrender, a trial where he's praying, saying, Lord, if it's your will, take this cup from me. But if not, and he just surrendered more deeply, who crucified Jesus? God? The devil? People? The answer is yes. In a sense, it almost doesn't matter who's behind it. And there's something in us that says, if I, if I knew who was doing this, if I knew what was behind this, somehow I would weather it differently, I'd weather it better. I think, I think if it's God who's trying you and taking you through something, a test of your character, a test of your allegiance, a test of, of your commitment, if God's doing that, the best way to respond is, is to submit. 
and to worship him no matter what, and worship him no matter, no matter what you're going through. You raise your hands and you worship the Lord in the middle of it. If it's the devil that's trying you, the best response is to submit. That's what James says. And Peter actually wrote, he says, submit yourself more, more to God. Resist the devil. Submit to God. Raise your hands in the middle of it. Worship more deeply. If it's you or someone, in, someone being used to push all your buttons and to test all your patience, the best response is to submit more deeply to the Lord. Raise your hands and worship him in the midst of it. That's the best response in this whole thing. God showed, Joe, uh, showed um, Job some powerful things. I think it was prolonged. We think that the whole story of Job lasts one year. So what you read in chapter 1 to, to the very end, that's about a year-long period. Most people who understand theology, that's where they've come out. That's a long time. And there's parts, Job's, he's, Job, he's kicking and fighting and resisting, defending himself and trying to clear himself. He's doing all these things that we do. And then God shows up and starts showing him and says, come to the treasury where I keep frost and snow. And he starts taking him places and giving him a revelation of how big God is and how involved God is and how much he cares. And he gave him a revelation that nobody had before till the time of Job. Probably one of the best sections of Scripture, and I, I'd like you to study this in these coming days, so if you can keep track of this. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8, and uh, it's talking about trials and testing, and uh, part of the purposes that, uh, that fit in with, with what we just read in Romans 5. What makes Rome, uh, Deuteronomy 8 so powerful is uh, the children of Israel had just gone through a 40-year waiting period, and now they're at the Jordan, and they're about to cross over. They're about to get new leadership. They're about to get all kinds of changes. Moses is going to be taken home. All kinds of changes about to take place. They're at the Jordan, and Moses gets up and says, let me just recount for you what God's saying and what the law is. And, and he capsulizes in Deuteronomy. That's called, uh, the, that book by itself is called The Law because it just summarizes everything in the other five books. It just brings it all together in one compact little ditty. And it, it, it's at the end of this whole journey. They're about to cross into a new beginning. And he says, let's just review this. And, and in Deuteronomy 8, he says, God took you through the wilderness. He subtracted things that you needed, things that you wanted. He didn't allow you to have things that you really needed so that you would know him, and you'd know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I've, he says, the Lord tried you, and he tested you, and you found out that he was faithful, and he did this to humble you, and he did it to chasten you, because he loves you like children. And it's really, that's the first time that God explained himself. He doesn't explain himself on the front end, even with this whole COVID season, back in January, there was no prophecies that says, okay, people, you're about to go through a major shift. Every church in the world is about to be closed, every synagogue, every mosque, every sports stadium, every bar, every school in the world 
But he didn't announce that. I, there's other reasons, I think, involved why he didn't say that. Uh, I think there's some illusion. I think the media has made it into something it was never intended to be. There's lots of things. I don't think it had to be anything close to what it's been. But God doesn't announce it on the front end. Otherwise, there's, no much, there's not much of a test. You know it's coming. It's not much of a test. It's not knowing what hit you. And you don't know where, the, where it's coming from. You don't quite understand the source of it. That's the power of a test. Then, then as you're getting near the end, he starts giving you perspective and saying, this is what I was doing. He, what he told the children of Israel, I, I'm about to lead you into the promised land, and I don't want it to wreck you. I don't want to lose you. I don't want you to lose sight of me. You're about to come into great prosperity. And so ahead of all of that prosperity, I subtracted from your life so that you would know my, ver my voice, you'd know my will, my heart, and I want you to make, I want you to be able to go into prosperity and not wreck you, we not lose you. I've gone through different times where I, I didn't know. I thought I was backsliding. I thought, boy, I just lost all my ability to really be disciplined and do the things. And I go through a really difficult time, and I cry out to the Lord. I surrender more deeply, and I worship him in the midst of it. And then I find out that he's wanting to take me to another level of success, but he would never really risk that transition if I hadn't been peeled back and humbled and I recognize that it's God, it's God, it's God, and nothing else matters. It's my family, it's what, you know, and, and he conditions my heart through subtraction before he does a bunch of addition or multiplying. He does it as churches. He does it as families. It's part of what God does. And Deuteronomy 8 is profound because it's God explaining himself, which he doesn't do on the front end. I'd like you to take some time this week Read Deuteronomy 8 in light of this, in light of the trial, in light of COVID. I think it'll make a lot more sense to you. Jesus stands up one day, and he starts saying this. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. He says, um, storms come against houses. Winds blow. A surge happens. A tsunami of stuff takes place. And it happens against the house of the wicked. And it happens against the house beside it, the house of the righteous. A storm happens. And it reveals the foundation of that house. One was put up very quickly, put up on the sand, no labor involved. Let's just get a house up, build it. And you didn't, didn't go deep, and, and then that house is swept away. And then the other house, actually, they dug deep. They took the time. I remember we were building our house up north. Uh, my neighbor, he, he didn't build deep. He, he did everything on a poured slab and put it all up. And he was up in minutes, it seemed like, and we were up in months. I mean, it was just a, a whole different thing. But it was a different process because we wanted to lay in this foundation. And it changes even how the structure lasts, all of that. You know, Jesus doesn't do in this amazing revelation. He doesn't explain the storm. He doesn't say where it comes from. He doesn't say who's the author of the storm. He doesn't say it's a storm from God. He doesn't say it's a storm from the devil. He doesn't say it's a storm from the government. He doesn't say, he doesn't say anything about the storm because it's beside the point. 
the whole issue is what the storm reveals. Reveals your heart, reveals your commitment, it reveals how loyal you are to the word of God, how, how willing you are to do the words of Jesus. That's what it reveals. Some people knit it, crochet it, frame it, put even those sticky letters on the wall, but don't, don't do it with their heart. Then storms happen. And what he seems to be laying out here is storms are a fact of life. They happen. They happen whether you're good, whether you're godly, or not. They happen. In fact, the same storms happen to the good, the godly, and the ungodly. But it's a revelation. It reveals. It reveals your heart. It reveals your commitment. It's important that I think what he was saying to Deuteronomy is important that you see your heart. This test was so that you could see, not just that God can see, but that you can see. The other thing that that parable or that story reveals is that storms don't last. There's life on the other side of the storms. Even in Job's life, in Abraham's test, in Peter's test, aren't you glad there's life on the other side of Peter's test? Aren't you glad there's life that he went on and preached and traveled and did great things for God? And Job went on in his life. Everything was doubled. He went back to business, got his family, had more kids. Just life happened, livestock came back. There's life on the other side of the trial. There always is. And uh, I, think, I think the bottom line in the whole idea of tests is that we want God to be glorified. And in the life of Job, God was glorified, such a powerful end that for uh, Job was the first book ever written down in the Bible. And... Uh, Ever since that was told and finally captured, someone wrote it down, perhaps Samuel. Ever since then, people have been comforted by the story of Job. Bob Sorge goes through the test of his life, and he just goes deep into the book of Job because there's something in there. God's trying us. God's, something's happening that we don't understand, but we know the end of the story. God's glorified. The end of the story... I come out the other end better off than I was before I went in through that test. But for generations, people have been comforted by Job. I think that's one of the things that can come out of your trials, that you have something to tell other people. Look, I didn't know what hit me. This happened. This is a fact. This hit me. This shook me. This caused me to cling both arms and legs wrapped around Jesus. I come through it. Here's what he's done since. Your testimony of how you weather a trial comforts people, assures people that there's life on the other side of it, and there really is life on the other side of whatever trial you go through. They do not last. Paul, he writes, he says, aren't you glad for trials? Job, uh, I'm sorry, James, he says, rejoice when trials hit you. Count it all joy when you fall into different trials. None of us are responding that way in the beginning. We grumble, we complain, want to change governments, change countries. Where are you going to go in COVID? 
Where are you going to go? What, what county can you go to? I mean, this, where, where are you going to go? People are migrating. People are moving uh, because of this. That's what happens. People complain. They fuss. But Paul said, I've been through enough of them. I know this. It tests my character. It tests my commitment. I like me better on the other side of the trial. I like God better on the other side of the trial. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was, but it definitely, definitely pruned me, and it definitely made me realize what really matters. And I think if we come away from this COVID thing realizing that family matters and our marriage really matters and who else are you gonna who else you're gonna go through difficulties with and church really matters and and that my commitment, my surrender to Jesus matters more than anything. My my surrender to him is has brought about patience and brought about fruit for which I'm grateful. We want to have it all figured out and God's often silent until we're almost through, and he says, here's what I've been doing. Here's what this has all been about. And he's done that in my life many, many times. I'd like you to study Deuteronomy chapter 8. I'd like you to go deep in that chapter, gaining perspective on the biggest trial that the children of Israel had ever gone through, and just see what God was after and see what he wanted to do. Amen? Let's stand together. The older I get, the shorter the sermons get. I don't know why. I'm not sure why that is, but it is what it is. That's what I had in my heart to share. I have some beautiful perspective to share tonight. We're going to go to heaven. We're going to go to Patmos. If you want some encouragement from that, come back tonight at 5 for our overflow meeting. Just see what the Lord does. Let's pray together. What about you? What's hit your life? What does it reveal about you, your heart, your trust, your mouth, your motives, your money, your marriage? It's a great revealer. Maybe you haven't done this yet, but would you just raise your hands and say, Lord, I worship you in the midst of this. I even thank you for it. I, I don't understand it all, but I want to tell you today, I'm grateful because it's making me come to a, a greater reality of how great you are, how big you are, how much you love us. Makes me realize that I, I have, I'm a rich man. I have so much. I'm a rich person. I have been given so many things. Have you worshipped him in the midst of your trial? Try it and watch and see if perspective doesn't start to flow, light doesn't start to flow. Father, we worship you. We're so blessed. We're blessed in every conceivable way. And the bottom line is that you are good. You are faithful. You are the only thing that's true. The media is not true. Our government's not true. We can't, trust, we can't trust very many people, but we say this, Father, we trust you. You are true. We found you to be true. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name.
Amen.